Faith Talk Radio being brought to you by Dr. Pat Worldwide on Alternative Talk 1150 AM. And as always, streaming worldwide on the Internet at interfaithtalkradio.com. We're here with you every Monday from 5 to 6 in the afternoon to share with you an expanding dialogue on interfaith understanding and to celebrate our shared spiritual quest. We are a rabbi, a Muslim minister, and a Christian pastor. I am Rabbi Ted Falcon from Beit Aleph Meditative Synagogue. I am Brother Jamal Rahman from Interfaith Community Church in Seattle. And I'm Pastor Don McKenzie from University Congregational United Church of Christ in Seattle. And you can find out more information about us and about our show on the website, interfaithtalkradio.com, brought to you by our webmaster, Shira Firestone. And in the event you'd like to call up and engage in the dialogue that we share during this hour, you might want to write down the phone number. It is... 425-373-5527 and in western Washington you can call toll free 888-298-5569 and all of us have stories about what this week has been uh, on the way over, we were kind of wondering whether the station had electricity, but we discovered that it not only does, but it has a generator in the event electricity goes out in this area again. And I was just thinking about all the stories that Seattleites have uh, during this time. Here we come to the darkest time of the year. It's the time of Hanukkah. Hanukkah comes not only at the dark time of the sun, near the solstice, but it also comes at the dark time of the moon, you know, starting as the moon is waning and about to disappear. And here we get darkness kind of enforced into our homes and into our offices, learning a little bit a little bit more perhaps than we'd even like to about things we take for granted. So in this time of darkness, we are sharing together holidays of light. And we will be talking to you today about the energies of Hanukkah, some of the energies of Christmas, and some of the energies of um, a Muslim feast day, which actually coincides with um, with New Year's this day. And why don't we start with that for a minute, Brother Jamal? Mm -hmm. That's called Eid il Qurban. Yes, that, you know, in Islam there are two main uh, festivals, you might say. One is, as you both of you know very well, is just after the month of Ramadan, which is the ninth month of the calendar year. That's when the first verses of the Quran descended upon Prophet Muhammad. And in the twelfth month, that's the time of the pilgrimage, once the pilgrimage finishes, there's this great celebration. 
and it the the pilgrimage finishes also with that wonderful ritual of the sacrifice that abrahamic sacrifice which is a metaphor of really sacrificing attachment to one's ego in favor of being attached to your beloved to something higher than personality mm. to so to celebrate that uh, muslims they have this wonderful festivity and they also have a tradition of uh, sharing meat with the poor. So they sacrifice a lot of animals mm -hmm. in that sense. But I, I, I should like to point, there's a verse in the Quran which says that it is not the blood of the animals, it is not the flesh of the animals that reaches to God. It is the human being's piety. Mm. Which really has led many Muslims to say, you know, this mass sacrifice of animals, even those for a good cause to feed the poor, the meat, uh, better change that and engage more in some other channel of piety, of feeding the poor, rather than meat something else. Mm. That's an interesting movement that's happening uh, in the Islamic world. Mm. And this is also the time next week is Christmas, and we certainly, as a culture hear about Christmas now from Halloween on when the sales are starting in the stores and when the music is starting either to entertain us or to assault us depending on our sensibilities or sensitivities and aiming toward one of the holiest days of the Christian year. Right, Rabbi Ted, it's... Um it's a deep time. It has several levels of meaning. Of course, the cultural sense of commercialism, uh, retailers feeling this is the time of year when they, if they're going to make any money, this is it. And so there's a fervor to mm. to sell. Um, and then there's what Garrison Keillor referred to in uh, Pastor Inkfist's sermon in Lake Wobegon is the real meaning of Christmas, which... Uh, has to do with the birth of Jesus, but that, as Jamal so beautifully pointed out a minute ago, is the really can be seen, I think, as the birth of healing, the birth of new possibilities, and so forth. The Christian story uh, is known uh, to almost everybody. That is the Christmas Christmas story, um, the uh, the the journey of Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem to be enrolled the the shepherds who, to whom the news was um, announced the the manger the star over the manger and later the magi coming from another part of the world these things are known within and without the Christian world um, and they convey a message uh, of four things as Marcus Borg a New Testament uh, professor. Uh, has said, uh, light coming into darkness, uh, the return home from exile, or, or another way to put that is, is coming home to a place of familiarity from estrangement of any kind, the tension between God and Caesar, this is something that we human beings deal with all the time, what does it mean to be human and, and how is that in tension with the divine? And then finally, uh, specifically, God coming into the world in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And, and all of that, which is so important to Christian people, 
um, is easily obscured by the noise, let's say, of Christmas. Uh, um, the lights can be beautiful. They can be a distraction. Um, and as a Christian, of course, I uh, often have wondered recently um, with you two friends, you know, what it feels like to be anything other than Christian at a time of year like this when it's, when Christians so dominate the landscape and so forth. And it's interesting. I, You know, we've just gone through this drama in Seattle at the airport with the Christmas trees being kind of hustled out because there was a threat of lawsuit by a rabbi who wanted a menorah, a Hanukkah, a Hanukkah menorah displayed as well. And it's, it's there's there's a difficulty I think for the ma ma major the majority culture to be clear about whether the tree how religious a symbol is the tree you know so people will say well it's it's just a tree it's a you know it's a decorated tree it makes us feel good it's a nice thing to have in the home it's a brings light into the house, brings green into the house at a time of darkness outside, at a time when there's snow or things are not so growing outside. But it's still called a Christmas tree. And particularly when, like when they got taken away and the fervor of the upset for me, that indicated very clearly how very religious mm -hmm. that symbol is. You know, like, yeah, you can say, well, it's a universal symbol, but then if it's a universal symbol and it's taken away, then one doesn't experience it as an attack on Christianity or somehow here come these Jews again making life difficult for us. And it's it's always part of the difficulty of living in a pluralistic society where... You're not totally equal in size. You know, there'll be a major culture, and then there'll be minorities. And it doesn't help to try to make the minorities as important, you know, to try to show that, hey, wait, you know, everybody's totally equal, because that's not the case. Mm -hmm. But how do we honor the integrity of, of all the people? How do we somehow honor the pluralistic foundation of the culture. Brother Ted, one quick question. This is called uh, a Judeo-Christian tradition. Which is? Uh, you know, uh, in America. You know, uh, the civilization here is Judeo-Christian. Right. I've always said that it's, it's Judeo-Christian and Islamic. So now, if there's trouble with the menorah, even though we call it Judeo-Christian, I suppose if I said, let's also put a Quran there, that could cause a bigger problem. Would you say? I would say for, like it seems to me that Judeo-Christian Judeo is a term that's more used by Christians than by Jews. Mm. Because it's a kind of, it has a tendency to usurp the Jewish content mm. and incorporate it and express it through um, kind of religious viewpoints. But we're coming up to a break, and we have someone on the phone, so 
after our sponsor messages, we'll be back to continue looking at the light of this season, how easy it is to get eclipsed. And we'll be right back. Church of Christ wants you to know about the God is Still Speaking campaign, a national effort to let everyone know that this denomination welcomes everyone, no matter what, to the worship of God and the service of the church. We believe that God has much, much more to tell us about the good news of the gospel of Jesus and about what love can do to help us with this beautiful but troubled world. To find out more, log on to www.ucc.org slash index.php. We wish you blessings for your life. Are you ready for the 12-minute Simone Zone miracle? Transform any self-defeating internal images into spectacular masterpieces of happiness and success in only 12 minutes. The Simone Zone is a revolutionary empowerment technique that uses cutting-edge audio-visual technology. Get ready to shift negative energy and change it to positive energy now. Visit thesimonezone.com and try this free technique. That's thesimonezone.com. The University Congregational United Church of Christ, located at 4515 16th Avenue Northeast, right across from the Burke Museum, wants you to know that it is a liberal and inclusive congregation waiting to welcome you to worship, education, fellowship, and service. We need your help to say yes to God's purposes. For more information, log on to universityucc.org. That's universityucc.org. Or call 206-524-2322. That's 206-524-2322. Your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to discover what's preventing you or your business from obtaining your goals, dreams, and vision. The Inquiring Mind is your partner. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. as Stephanie Durham, professional life coach, presents ACES. Authenticity, choices, empowerment, and success. Spanning 25 years of successful business tenure, in addition to over four years of training with Caroline Mace at the CMED Institute, Stephanie's authenticity and vast knowledge helps you objectively explore wise choices with her finely attuned facilitator skills, leading you to personal empowerment and ultimate success. Do you know you have power to create what you want in your life and in business? You do. This message will self-absorb in five seconds. information, call us toll-free at 1-866-461-6463. Alternative to what? Alternative to everything else out there on the radio. Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. And you're back with Interfaith Talk Radio. I'm Rabbi Ted Falcon. I'm Brother Jamal Rahman. I'm Pastor Don McKenzie. We're talking about the light and the darkness of this season, both inner and outer. We're talking about how our traditions converge in support and sometimes not in support of each other. And we've got James on the line. Hello, James. Hello there. Hello. Yes, uh, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. James, how are you? Fine, thank you. Uh, first of all, it's my first time listening, and uh, I'm actually a member of UCUCC and glad to be listening. It's great to know that there's a program out there like this. Great. I wanted to make a quick comment, a real brief one, about the uh, statement regarding the Christmas tree at SeaTac Airport or the Christmas trees. And I think that there's, just to add on to that, I think that there is a, a problem of political correctness 
that uh, people that travel all the time, including myself, sometimes don't even notice the Christmas tree decorations. But as soon as that they're taken away, we want to jump on the bandwagon of protest. So I think that there's there's more to just the the, the religious part of that than there is the political correctness of this whole situation. And uh, and I think that's something else that we need to be aware of. That's really interesting. It's like we hardly appreciate our health until sickness comes. We hardly appreciate often our families or our partners until there's some threat. And we take things like our religious symbols and traditions rather lightly until all of a sudden it looks like they can be taken away. So it's just a way of life, you're saying, James. It has become a part, of, an integral part of our lives. I think so. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a human resource professional, and, uh, and I've gotten probably ten questions about how to say happy holidays or Merry Christmas in the office. Right. And I just end up saying, say what's in your heart. Right. So the best thing is just to smile, I guess. <laughs> that, that may be the case, yes. But that's all I had. Thank you, gentlemen. Oh, no, thank, thank you, James. James. Thanks thank for you. calling, James. You bet. Bye-bye. The issue of the Christmas tree and the menorah raises for me the truth that the veneer of cooperation and understanding in this country sometimes is a lot thinner than we would wish. Mm -hmm. And when issues come up, they are signals that allow us to look again at the nature of our culture, at the nature of our society, and understand the value that dialogue such as the one in which we are engaged has. And to recognize that this dialogue that we're inviting others to share in has great meaning and can serve to defuse the anger that rises even before the events occur which stimulate that anger. Right. You know, I think the the fact that uh, whether or not the Christmas tree has theological value is almost irrelevant compared to how it feels to you, Ted, or to you, Jamal. And that's what I, I need to hear as a Christian. That's what I need to hear. And and then we can talk about that. I, I, I The Christmas tree was um, originally a pagan thing, and but it's not called a a winter tree. It's called the Christmas tree. And so no, no matter how you cut it, it points to Christmas. And that's, I think, what that's the bottom line at the moment. I think a great deal of our religious symbolisms came from our pagan roots, hmm. our animistic roots. And then we incorporated them to support the evolving spirituality of our own traditions. And then they become what they are for us. You know, so that their origin, it's not that the origin is irrelevant, it's just that that's not the living symbol, is the living symbol. Good. You know, I'd love to get back to that one verse we have we've talked about uh, uh, many, many times where in the Quran it says that deliberately out of a grand design, God created diversity that we might get to know one another. So certainly as a Muslim, I would love to know more about the symbolism of the uh, Christmas tree, but also I would love to know also about the symbolism of the menorah at the appropriate time. And I would hope that you, both of you, would love to hear and know more about the symbolisms of the Islamic traditions. Right as also other religions. Well, I'd like to tell you that you've come to the right place to learn about the menorah because I was hoping to have the opportunity Great. to talk a Please little bit us. about it. The, <clears throat> the um, 
the proper name is a Hanukkiah. Mm. Menorah simply means a candle, you know, a light-bearing instrument, which at the early days had bowls filled with oil and wicks, and then now candles. So the menorah, the light-bearing candelabra that was in, or I don't know what you'd call it with oil lamps, it wasn't a candelabra, but that was in the ancient synagogue, had seven branches, three on each side and one in the center. The Hanukkah, or the Hanukkah menorah, has four lights on each side, usually, and one taller one in the middle. It's not necessary that the taller one be in the middle. Uh, it just has to be higher than the others. So there's all kinds of artistic, uh, crea creative uh, menorahs, that, or Hanukkiot, that may have all the eight in a row or in a swirl or in a circle. And then the uh, ninth candle has to be higher because unlike the lights of Sabbath, which can be used to read by, uh, you, you're not supposed to use the light of Hanukkah. The light of the Hanukkah candles is to meditate by. Uh, not to read by. It's not. It's it's to like traditionally. After you light your Hanukkah in your home, you put it in your window. So it always strikes me that that might be the origin of lights on houses. Nice. You know, because that's a very old tradition in Israel. I don't know if you noticed when we were there because we weren't weren't there during Hanukkah, but on a lot of the houses there are little extensions or a lot of the flats we passed, because they weren't really individual houses, there were little extensions where people could put their Hanukkiah, mm -hmm. and then passers-by on the street could see. And, of course, we'd know how safe we experienced ourselves in any culture by whether we felt comfortable putting the Hanukkiah out there. Um, there are various traditions of lighting the candles. You know, Hanukkah means dedication and it is the consequence of a military victory somewhere around the year 164 BCE before the common era by a group called the Maccabees the war started probably around 168 or 167 BCE when the Greek Syrian ruler called Antiochus defiled Jewish altars and demanded the cessation of any worship other than the worship of the Syrian Greeks. It used to be when Alexander the Great conquered all that territory, he didn't mess with the indigenous people's religious practices. Very wise. And because of that, People got to see the richness of the Greek culture, and that came into their own systems of belief and systems of practice. It did within Judaism as well. So that by the time of Antiochus, there were Hellenized Jews for whom the Greek culture was very important along with their Jewish practice. But when a priest, a man of the priestly class named Mattathias saw a pig being sacrificed, you know, the 
uh, Syrian Greek rulers demanded that pigs be sacrificed on altars. He couldn't stand it. And he killed not only the Greek officers, the Syrian Greek officers who were there, but also the Jewish guy who made the offering under their direction. And that started a guerrilla warfare that lasted for several years. Uh, Mattathias was the father of a family. Uh, the, he got killed, actually, in the early part of the war. His son Judah took over. Judah was called Judah the Maccabee, because Maccabee means hammer. So he's a great warrior, and that's where you get Judah, Maccabee, and the Maccabees. But around the year 164, the Maccabees actually won. I mean, it was outrageous against a far stronger foe. Some think that this was the first war fought for religious freedom. The temple, when it was cleansed to be reconsecrated, the story is that they could only find one little jar of consecrated oil with which to light the menorah, which then is seven-branched, of course, in the temple. And that was supposed to last for one night. The menorah was to be lit from night each evening. But it lasted for eight days. And therefore, eight days of Hanukkah, lighting candles each of those days. Um, when we come back from our break, I'll talk about how those candles get lit and a little bit about the surprising evolution of that particular miracle of light. This is Rabbi Ted Falcon. I'm here with Brother Jamal Rahman and Pastor Don McKenzie. This is Interfaith Talk Radio, and we'll be right back. Church feel like they've come home. We invite you to one of the many great Puget Sound Unity Churches in Bellevue, Edgewood, Kent, Linwood, Seattle, or Woodenville. For links to these Unity Churches and others, visit unity.org. We welcome you to join us at Unity of Woodenville. Visit unityofwoodenville.org. Kirk Pipkin joins the Dr. Pat Show, introducing his new documentary, Nobelity, combining the insights of nine distinguished Nobel laureates. This documentary features conversations with these laureates and gives their insight into the world's most pressing problems and possible solutions. Powerfully motivating, Pipkin's journey across the world reveals how one person can change the world, and every person has the opportunity to do so. For more information, please visit nobelitythemovie.com or call 1-800-424-2593. The Empowerment Partnership. Empowering the lives of thousands of people around the world just like you. Their mission is to empower you with an understanding of what makes you and others tick and to teach you the tools and techniques that will unlock your hidden gifts. The Empowerment Partnership. Whatever you think you are, you're more than that. To learn more, call 1-800-800-MIND or go to www.nlp.com. 
Mention the Dr. Pat Show to receive a special discount. Hi, I'm Deborah Tracci of Heart Ignited. Do you know your life's purpose? Why do you think knowing will assist you? I'm a life and transition coach who will be featured on the Dr. Pat Show from December 7th through Valentine's Day 2007. I am giving away a Heart Ignited Essence Statement one-on-one coaching package worth over $700 to a selected listener. To submit your answers, go to heartignited.com, click on the contact page, and enter your answers in 300 words or less to these questions. Do you know your life's purpose? Why do you think knowing will assist you? Submit no later than January 3rd, 2007. Again, the website is heartignited.com. Listen for my Heart Ignited tips right here on the Dr. Pat Show. And don't forget to visit my website at heartignited.com. Are you ready to kick your life up a notch? Tired of just surviving? The award-winning Dr. Pat Show, Talk Radio to Thrive By, is your way to living the life you want without regrets, without limitations. This empowering, inspirational show with dynamic host Dr. Pat Basili will leave you shouting, yes, I can. Dr. Pat is a master career and belief coach, dynamic seminar leader, and creator of Crustbusting. Listen to the Dr. Pat Show on AM 1150 KKNW, Monday through Friday, 11 to noon, and worldwide on www.thedrpatshow.com. Proud to bring variety to your radio dial. Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. And welcome back to Interfaith Talk Radio. We're here tonight talking about light in a time of darkness and kind of celebrating the light that rises in all of our traditions and in all of our hearts. I thought it might be nice if we would share with uh, with you some of, the th- some of the things that are coming up for each of us at this time. And I guess the first is uh, Pastor Don and his special Christmas service. Right. At, at our church, University Congregational United Church of Christ in Seattle, which is across the street from the Burke Museum on 45th, we have an 11 o'clock p.m. Uh, candlelight service on Christmas Eve. Uh, that's next Sunday evening. And uh, we, we read uh, readings from Scripture and sing Christmas carols, and, and the choir sings also. And during the singing of Silent Night, we give everybody a candle and the lights go out and people raise their candles, candles of hope, you might say, and uh, it's one of our favorite occasions to get together. So we invite uh, anybody who's listening to join us. I was just going to ask, people who are not members of the church Absolutely. Anybody's welcome. Absolutely. And Brother Jamal? Well, um, thank you for this opportunity. We have a, a very wonderful program every year. This will be our eighth year where the Interfaith Community Church, in collaboration with a large number of houses of worship in the city, uh, we get together to celebrate New Year's Eve. And at certain times, it has attracted 2,000 people in Green Lake. Uh, This New Year's Eve is going to be at 3 o'clock on Sunday. We'll have lots of wonderful chanting and music, uh, brief prayers by spiritual leaders, and then a candle... Uh, vigil or walk around Green Lake to celebrate that wonderful verse uh, from the Islamic, from my perspective, Islamic spirituality. Oh, please come out of the circle of time and enter the circle of love. We want to usher into the new year. Great. So this will be at 3 o'clock in Green Lake, New Year's Eve, uh, 3 to 4, 
is the music and uh, brief prayers. Uh, four to five is a walk, followed by uh, hot soup and good food at Interfaith Community Church in Ballard. Great. And Hanukkah is happening now, so I can't invite anybody to the Hanukkah party because it's already taken place. But I can let people know that in January, on the 10th of January, I'm beginning a class called Practical Spirituality, which follows from last year's class of the same name, which was probably the most exciting class I've ever taught. It's going to be 10 consecutive Wednesday evenings, 7 to 9 p.m., and if anybody wants to find more about it, it's at rabbitedonline.com. And if anybody can't remember that, just look for rabbitedonline.com. <laughs> because when you say rabbit or rabbi Ted, it looks like rabbit ed. You know, the very first time I was in the newspaper when I was a student rabbi in the South, um, the first time I saw my name in the newspaper, it announced that Rabbit Ed was coming to town, and I was speaking and gave the title of my sermon. So it kind of set me in my place and let me know what exactly how my name was going to be helpful. So I was talking about the light of Hanukkah, and I will continue to do that, but Jamal, you wanted to share... Uh, something about light from the Muslim tradition. Oh, I, I just, as you were speaking about the miracle of light, I, I, it immediately brought to mind this beautiful, simple story, a true story of this uh, very famous uh, 8th, 9th century Islamic teacher called Hassan of Basra. And he was one evening just about to deliver a very beautiful spiritual talk. There was a large crowd because he was so popular. And he picked up this little kid who was about, I think, uh, 8 years old, who was carrying a candle. And he summoned him and said, come here, little child, come here. And he said, tell me, where did this light come from? Where did this flame come from? And the child looks at him, looks at the flame and goes, and blows it out. And he says, you tell me, where did it go? <laughs> <laughs> and that really is actually a symbolism, it's a true story, of many deep understandings yeah. of the miracle of light and the truth that the miracle of light also is when we use this light to really become aware of darkness within and without. Right. One of the interesting things about artists, you know, that they know is that if you want to express, if you want to show light as bright, you make it next to a dark color because mm -hmm. the darkness brings out the light. Yes, yes. You know, it's the contrast that allows us to appreciate light, which is really interesting because all of us would like to have lives where it's all light. We'd like everything to go well. And the truth of the matter is, if everything just went well, we'd, we'd grow numb to it. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't even be able to appreciate it as going well. It's like we can't appreciate soft without hard. I think that's one of the reasons why, uh, for me, this time of year is so important. Because as I, I have this feeling of descending into the darkness to Christmas Eve and then ascending into the light, it's... You know, like passing through a very narrow but important passage and I can't ascend until I've gotten down to that point where I can start it and um, I, I, as you say I would just soon not do that in some ways but how right. would I appreciate that right. light if I hadn't gone through what mm -hmm. what Advent in effect is all about this four weeks prior to Christmas you know, you know it's interesting that sorry go ahead no, I was just going to say, one would wish that we don't 
get stuck in that dark place. Amen. You know, and where we let the flow carry us so that, yes, we can appreciate and we can find light in that darkness and raise the sparks that are hidden there. Right. Rather than getting ourselves caught in the clutches of the negative and refuse to let go of them. I was just going to say that, like, you know, Carl Jung was saying that we don't become enlightened by all the time just imagining these beautiful figures of light, but also by, as all the traditions say, but doing the hard work of shining, maybe compassionately, not maybe, but absolutely uh, as often as you can, shining compassionate awareness on our shadows. Mm. And then because of that radiance of that light, uh, those shadows are going to dissolve. And that which is beautiful within us is going to grow under the nourishment of that radiant sun. Right. So that work is critical yep. to do. So lighting the, sh the uh, lights of Hanukkah. Yes. The, that story of the miracle of Hanukkah actually appears for the first time in the Talmud. Talmud is a Jewish literature was, which is written down by the year 500 CE. The common era. There's a and in the section talking about Shabbat, talking about Sabbath candles, there suddenly is a discussion of Hanukkah because Hanukkah has candles too. And there's a question that's asked. It starts with a question: What's Hanukkah about? And there's the answer. It says Hanukkah is a celebration of the eight days that the oil lasted. But that's the first mention of that miracle. In the book of Maccabees, which was written shortly after the events, there is no mention of that miracle. The festival, the holiday that uh, originally took shape was about a military victory. The difficulty, of course, for the, the rabbinic tradition that grew up was that the Maccabees, Mattathias and his family, were Hasmoneans. And the later Hasmoneans, like a couple centuries later, were, were the chief priests, the head priests, but they were in league with the Romans. And they basically sold out their priesthood. So they were certainly no friends of the rabbis. Now, the rabbis didn't want to celebrate a holiday that praised them. So from the rabbinical point of view, it was kind of downplayed as a holiday, but clearly people want to celebrate light and darkness, and clearly people, particularly in minority culture, wants to celebrate a holiday that kind of speaks of their own integrity and their own self-worth and their own power, you know, against the might of a majority culture. So finally, in the, in the Talmud, it is brought into the uh, normative tradition as a festival celebrating the miracle of light. And what I find just precious about that is that in some ways that miracle of light that's described in the Talmud never happened. And in some ways that miracle that's described in the Talmud is always happening. It's always happening. The flicker of light that we don't think can overcome the darkness in our experience proves time and time again to radiate fully enough to be able to do just that. The glimmer of blessing that awakens at a time of 
terrible, sometimes terrible difficulty where we think there's no way that'll be enough of a glimmer to help us through that time and time again proves the power, the value of that spiritual energy. So I'm just, uh, thank you, Ted, that was rich, uh, that description, and I think it contributes so much to our understanding and so forth, and I think of the potential that that story has to contribute to our common life in the United States and the world and so forth, and how caught we get in uh, these moments of um, trying to, should we have the Christmas tree or should we not, and so forth like that, and and those are important discussions, but if we could come at it with, just think we each have something to contribute to, something that's needed. Uh, the whole question of light, understanding, shadow side, the question of forgiveness is actually inside that and so forth. That That's such a rich story. And I think that most of us who are Christian don't know enough about either that or how it feels, as I said before, to be a non-Christian at this uh Christmas time of the year. I think it's probably the same for all of us. I think it's important for the minority culture to know what is happening in the majority culture and to be able to appreciate the beauty of that culture, even though that's not the only thing that's visible. And the same is true of the minority culture. You know, to have the majority be able to appreciate the minorities. The beauty of the minorities' traditions, even though that's not all that's visible. You know, we don't always show each other. We don't always display for ourselves the clarity of our own convictions, the compassion of our own ways. Oftentimes we get so caught up in our lives. So I'll definitely go to Christmas parties, Hanukkah party. I invite you to Eid parties. Well, and we accept. Amen. <laughs> We hope you will accept the next few moments listening to our sponsors. We hope you will consider even becoming one of our sponsors as we enter later in January into the next segment of our show. We'll be back after these messages. is your beauty salon. Mode Organic Salon is Seattle's premier organic beauty salon. Our trained professionals specialize in providing organic and natural hair, skin, nail, and cosmetic services customized to your specific attributes and lifestyle. Visit modeorganic.com or call 206-623-0195 to schedule. Mention the Dr. Pat Show and get 15% off your first service. For beauty that's more than skin deep, visit Mode Organic Salon. Hi, this is Dr. Scott Lynch from Crown Hill Chiropractic. Starting Wednesday, November 22nd, we are offering a special promotion for the Dr. Pat listeners where you can go into an office near you and have a complimentary, i.e. free, wellness checkup for your child. Call me at 206-782-8800 or email me at info at crownhillchiropractic.com for an office near you. This offer has been extended to the end of the year, so don't wait. Call Dr. Scott Lynch today. Okay, everyone, listen up. Dr. Pat brings you her favorite organic wines from the Organic Wine Company, direct to you for this limited-time special offer. Would you like to enjoy the luscious taste of natural grapes grown with love for the land and tantalizing your taste buds at the same time? 
Well, Dr. Pat has selected three of her favorite wines for only $49, a 40% savings. Visit www.thedrpatshow.com and click on Dr. Pat's Picks for this special offer. Or you can call 1-888-326-9463. Hey, Julie, where have you been? Benny, I just returned from a fabulous seminar with Karen Ramsey, learning about how my relationship to money is holding me back from living the life I want. Well, I can't seem to save enough money to contribute to an IRA these days, but I think, you know, it's just too late to start now. Well, Benny, I see that you just bought yourself a latte this morning, and how many times a day do you do that? Uh, I'd say like two or three times a day, but I mean, seriously, what's your point, Julie? If you save the money you spend on just one latte a day, you'd easily be able to contribute $1,400 a year to your IRA. No kidding. I never thought about it that way. Well, Karen Ramsey says it's never too late to start, no matter where you are, and the sooner you start, the better. Well, you know, that's fine with people with money, but how can someone like me afford financial advice from someone like Karen Ramsey? Well, you don't need to be wealthy to get excellent financial advice. In fact, why not tune into her new show beginning October 12th and learn about the myths about money that keep us from living the lives we're meant to live? And visit her on the web at caringmoney.com. That's caringmoney.com. Get current weather, traffic, and news. Visit 1150kknw.com and stay informed with Alternative Talk 1150 AM. Welcome back to Interfaith Talk Radio. We're here talking about the light of this season, the light of spirit that dawns within each of our hearts, within each of our minds. I'm Rabbi Ted Falcon from Beit Aleph Meditative Synagogue. I'm Brother Jamal Rahman from Interfaith Community Church in Seattle. And I'm Pastor Don McKenzie from University Congregational United Church of Christ in Seattle. And this is the fourth night of Hanukkah. So if anybody's wondering how many candles to light tonight, the ninth candle, which is raised, is raised so you can tell the difference between that light and the Hanukkah candles because you don't use the Hanukkah candles. So if you want to light another candle, you use the helper candle called a shamash. So tonight we light four candles. And one of the practices that I encourage is a dedication of each of the candles that we light to illuminate some vision of the self one wishes to be or the world in which one wishes to live. Like I dedicate this light to the peace unfolding in my community and unfolding in my world. Or I dedicate this light to healing for myself or for someone who is in special need. So that each night when I light that candle, it reminds me of the intention of illuminating peace or illuminating love or illuminating healing. Light, of course, is probably as close as we can get to a symbol of that which is beyond image. Light is the closest we can get as a symbol of the divine. And in all our traditions, there are exuberant celebrations of that light. And of course, as we've said earlier, only those who have known darkness can really step into the celebration of light, can really appreciate the blessing of that radiance 
And the biblical passage that came to mind is from the prophet Isaiah, the beginning of the 60th chapter. Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the eternal has risen upon you. The awakening, the rising, with and through and as that light. And later on in that chapter it says, The sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor the moon your light by night, but the spirit, the presence of the eternal will be your everlasting light. To get to that place where that awareness always is alive within us. As an ancient, I mean, here's a prophet talking in the 6th century BCE and the words are as alive today. What about light in the Islamic tradition? My friends, uh, in the Quran, there's a lot of references to light, which is called nur. For example, in the Quran, it says, Allah is the light of the heavens and the earth. Also, I, I should add, the Quran says, there is guidance and light in the Torah. It says there is guidance and light in the Christian scriptures. But the portion that I really am very, want to focus on very briefly is uh, a verse which says, light upon light. It's one of the most enigmatic portions of the Quran. No one knows exactly what it means. One uh, interpretation is that uh, if you truly purify yourself, you surrender to God and you really polish your heart, as they say, really purify yourself, imbue yourself with the qualities of divine divinity, then a light from within you rises and a light from above descends and they join together creating light upon light. Mm -hmm. And many commentators say that this is very hopeful. We don't have to spend all our lives taking care of our shadows and wondering when can we ever become full and complete. Uh, Rumi, for example, was inspired to say, whatever dominates within you is the form in which you will resurrect. If your gold outweighs your copper, you'll become known as gold. So yes, diminish your shadows, but really work on increasing your light. If your light is more than your darkness, you become light. You become light upon light. Mm. That's wonderful. Thank you, Jamal. I'm, I'm thinking of uh, the fifth verse of the first chapter of the Gospel according to John, which in, in uh, reference to the birth of Jesus uh, says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Uh, there are other more pedestrian ways, I suppose, to talk about the idea of God with us and so forth, but um, the hope uh, in, in this image of light, which, as Ted and Jamal have said, is, is as close as we can get in ordinary words to a connection uh, in our imagination to God, um, the hope that light will prevail, that that which is the holy one of being, as we say, will prevail over the darkness, which is to say the darker side of human experience, the troubles, the sadness, the sorrow, the uncertainty, um, the violence, everything that we feel uh, pain uh, about will be overcome by the light, which is God. And 
there couldn't be a stronger, in some ways, there could not be a stronger expression of hope, and one that has moral value, really, not just optimism, but real hope. Hmm. Thank you. I imagine each of each of you who are listening have moments in your lives when you became aware of that light, that presence of spirit in a time of difficulty or a time of darkness. And you can identify with the words from our ancient traditions. I have a couple things I'd like to do before we move into our concluding moments of tonight's show. I read the um, sponsorship information of Beit Aleph Meditative Synagogue, and I want to just remind people that Beit Aleph Meditative Synagogue is an intentional spiritual community based on deep wisdom teachings, texts, and rituals of Jewish tradition. The Beit Aleph experience includes song, meditation, and a meditative approach to worship and ritual. It's a place dedicated to spiritual evolution. And you can find out more at jewishspiritualcommunity.com. jewishspiritualcommunity.com. And I want to make a confession, and that has to do with the fact that the first thing I read on Sunday mornings when I get the paper is the comics. That's where you get your wisdom from, Brother Ted. I'm delighted to know that. I, uh, finally, you know. Yes. And I, I cut out one from this Sunday, and it's a strip called non, The Non Sequitur by Wiley Miller. And a little girl named Danae, who is going around with her talking horse, she's apparently exp uh, kind of describing to the to her to the horse the nature of um, religious difficulties in the world and so it's she is saying okay one group of followers willingly sacrifice themselves to blow up people who follow a different religion and the horse says um, you lost me there explain that again she says, well, the other group of followers are willing to commit all of their resources to launching overwhelming military strikes in retaliation. And the horse says, wow, can't get more fanatical than that, huh? How about the third group of followers, the horse says, and she says, they're willing to blow up the entire planet. Oh, says the horse. And why are they doing this to each other? And Danae says, to prove which one is the true religion of peace. The next strip shows them sailing through the air because during this time they are sliding down a hill on a saucer. At the final image, they are, have landed in a, on a branch in a tree. And the horse says, I'll never understand how you guys made it to the top of the food chain. Mm -hmm. And she says, well, they don't call it blind faith for nothing. I think there's always truth revealed in humor. But if we could laugh at ourselves, like if we could look at the difficulties we have as individuals in relationships, as cultures, as countries, 
and allow ourselves to see some of the absurdity of it, some of the humor of it, to let our laughter help elevate us above our attachment to being right and allowing the light of a season and the light of our being to support a true pluralism where we can affirm the truths, the deep truths of each other. is also the light of compassion and awareness. And laughter helps us to put our egos just in the back seat for just a second so that we can see that kind of truth. Amen. So my wish for the next year, because we will be on live again in this, at this time frame on this show in 2007, is that we bring that spiritual light to greater laughter in the year ahead. Inshallah, meaning God willing. Amen. <laughs> so to all of you listening, may your holidays be very bright. May your new year be filled with love. We celebrate the life we share. Amen. 